0: Hello, summer is now upon us. But uh, classes in session this month on Infused, uh, a cannabis talk show, because we're going to take you into an exclusive uh, look in one of the most important areas of the business today. Um, if you think about the way that cannabis has expanded its footprint uh, in the new territories and the new markets, uh, and let's not forget totally new consumers, uh, we also need to think about how those consumers receive their product, what's in the supply chain. And of course, extraction and processing are driving our market in more ways than one. But it's also pretty tough to understand um, sound extraction techniques uh, and the products they help produce. So it's a real pleasure uh, for me uh, to welcome our, our guests today. Uh, of course, I'm joined by Francesca, the co-founder of the Sales Joint. How are you hey, today? Hey
1: guys,
0: I uh, I'm doing well, and I'm excited because I get to learn a lot today. And I know
1: I'm really pumped for this.
0: It's an absolute pleasure um, to present this episode because it has profound value to the people we work with every day, cultivators, dispensary staff, uh, manufacturers, med professionals, and and let's not forget the goal for us today, end users, uh, hopefully becoming educated consumers. So look, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome today's uh, guest who's joining us all the way from the golden state of California, the warmest uh, welcome I can offer to you, Alex Barsky of C1D1 Labs. Hi, Alex.
2: Everybody, thanks for having me
0: today. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today, Alex. I, I really, really appreciate it. As does our whole team. And, and, and speaking of the whole team, I wanted to get this out of the, the way real quick. The degrees of separation, uh, which uh, we went through to get you on here, you are—you uh, met one of my favorite people in the world when you were in college. Uh, our teammate Ashley. Uh, where? Where was this? Where, where were you guys studying? Uh,
2: the Salisbury University. So this is on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Okay, um, it was a great time. Uh, I really enjoyed um, my time in Salisbury. Although um, I got my master's in probably selling weed, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely uh, learned a lot in that area and met some really good people. Ashley's a, a wonderful person.
0: Oh, uh, she she's just the best. We 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 love her. Uh, she's yeah, she's very, gold. Very, yeah, no doubt. And it, it it's funny to think that you guys would reconnect uh, kind of this way years later. That you're both here in, in cannabis, which has evolved into a business. Um, was this a career in this space, Alex? Was that something that you were even considering at that time?
2: So it's been something I considered for a very long time. When I was, um, I think a junior in Salisbury University, I completely dropped out and moved to California to dig holes and feed irrigation. Um, I was arrested several times within Maryland uh, for small possession charges, thankfully, um, that skewed my life and gave me a little perception on how an imaginary border can open up so much to a person's potential when they can chase something that they are um, passionate about. Whereas in Maryland, I was being restricted regularly. So. Uh, The very first thing my lawyer told me was, you're too passionate. If you stay in Maryland, you're going to continue to get arrested. Um, So that being said, um, I moved to California. I started working on regulations. And that's how I started really opening up the industry and opening up those imaginary borders between, um, you know, very funded uh, clients and those who are more grassroots like myself.
1: Wow. Wow. That's really cool. So you worked in regulations first.
2: So with all the stuff that we do comes a lot of fire code regulations. And unfortunately mm-hmm. there's not a lot of experienced extraction technicians, um, giving their input on these subcommittees and committees, which create these standards, which are pretty much a set of, um, uh, rules that then you can offer cities to then adapt as ordinances. Uh, most of the time you'll just see owners of companies that want to, um, uh, triangulate the market and pinpoint the market towards their product. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fight hard, to, to represent a lot of the smaller businesses that, that really just don't know how to have a say. Um, and the idea is, is that I've seen personally firsthand how the judicial system connects with the rehabilitation system, which connects to the pharmaceutical system in places like Maryland, by growing up, and opening the um, profitability margin to owners that come from grassroots areas means that these people have a say in our society standards um, in the next 10 years. Um, as they become the money makers in our state legislation and have influence in different areas of regulation, um, it's going to be interesting to see how these people create standards and ordinances and um, you know, hopefully more influence than that on a larger level. Um, I think it's going to be similar to how the tech industry had a young generation create a large influence very fast.
1: Do you think that's that's going to be harder to achieve as you know, like corporate raid and federal legalization, and all of those money grabbers move into this space? Like, how I'm so interested in, uh, and this is so not where I expected this conversation to go <laughs> this early, which is so awesome. I love it. Yeah, um, I'm so interested in and really really value protecting those small farms just like you were saying and i love the way that you're doing it so i mean there's there's got to be a network element there but do you think it's getting harder easier
2: well no one really knows exactly what's going to happen federal legislation comes through but what's guaranteed is a lot of the big investors with a lot of their portfolios tied up and other investors who don't want them in this industry and say their portfolio is too valuable to cross some federal lines, mm-hmm. they're not going to be scared to get into it, right? Which means big players like Samsung potentially getting into my equipment manufacturing, mm-hmm. right? So, um, or, you know, other steel manufacturers, we need to realistically gain as much market share as possible before these players come in so that they have to buy us out and partner with us and m and with us, um, rather than just creating their own vertical integrated companies that run over us. Uh, we see more of this on the East Coast for sure than on the West Coast. Um, however, we still see some grassroots connections with some of these bigger companies. Um, I personally know some of the project managers and some of the extractors and some of the uh, um, partial owners of these companies, and they're good people. Um, I think the M&A uh, for some of these larger companies um, and working with smaller guys is really important in order to stay connected to the cannabis network. Otherwise, no one really wants to work with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's mm, that's really interesting. So, so you are in both markets in East and West. I mean, any other any other markets? Any like you're everywhere.
2: I mean, we're building a lab in Switzerland right now. That's going to be doing ooh. five thousand pounds a day of processing. Um, mm-hmm. We do most of the Canadian projects. Um, we work with all the vertical uh, vertical integrated companies on the East Coast and all the big companies like Friendly Farms and Apex in California you know. and MPX in Nevada. Um, all the way to the grassroots, guys. Uh, really, we focused on lowering the barrier to entry, uh, which allowed the small guys to get in, which is the majority of the support I get in the industry. Um, however, you know, really the, the ball is open, the court is open here for anyone shooting the ball. Um, and we want to make sure that we can get them to the finish line, no matter if they're a small player building a small BHO lab or the industry's largest player building the most vertical integrated lab we can possibly design.
1: How do you lower that barrier of entry?
2: So our first product was a C1D1 booth, right? So this is the booth in which butane extractors extract inside of. So if there's ever a leak of the system, right, or a malfunction of the system, and butane gets into the atmosphere, there are sensors within this room that would automatically trigger alarms and explosion-proof fans to then clear the area before it could even reach an explosive limit. It's a mouthful, right? Um, But these uh, technical rooms, they're they're very expensive. Um, As you can imagine, um, safety equipment requires certifications from engineers to remove Mm -hmm. liability. That's just very expensive because as these engineers want to put their name on these papers for, you can imagine some hippie in some room blowing some wax. um, They're afraid of these guys blowing up and taking their license with them, right? So Mm. uh, prior to us, there were only one company doing the certifications and there was only a handful of companies creating these rooms and they created the profit margin at six seven eight hundred percent Wow! Wow. and this is only like a two hundred thousand dollar room um and for someone like me who had become in the industry and i was already in the california market at the time and i was frustrated because i had spent the last six months trying to find investors to build to buy into me and my business plan because I couldn't afford this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did is I did a couple things. I first created a competitive company to the engineering company that was controlling our market, very similar to UL in other industries. Um, most of the municipalities look towards one engineering company, which is a private engineering company, which is illegal. That's monopolization, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um you don't want one person creating all the rules. Mm-hmm. So we found a engineer, John Stoppye. He's located on the East coast in Pennsylvania. Um, who's extremely experienced in um, fire protection engineering. In addition to high pressure and um, large amounts of flammable liquids and LPGs. LPGs are butane and propane and pentane. Um, another explosion proof explosion, volatile gases. Um, so what we did is we, we created an engineering company that, wasn't gonna strangle you know the industry and allow only five manufacturers who are willing to pay the bills to get their equipment onto market which lowers the cost of equipment by creating more competitive market Um, in addition i created one of those rooms that wasn't multiples of 100 times profit I dropped out of high school and I I was a CTO for a cybersecurity recruiting company at a very young age with the CIS of the National Defense University and advisor for the state department. I've seen proper business plans be in place all my life. And in the cannabis industry, um, prior to my entrance with the equipment, there really wasn't much of a structure. It was really a a cash grab. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a pay to play moment. And by lowering those Engineering and equipment costs, um, we were able to create a, a level playing field for some of the guys with the more experience who deserve the market here.
1: Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> like that that is changing the industry and, and changing the market. Was it something that you set out to do, or was it something that you were like, I'm just I'm looking for something that isn't there or I'm looking for a fairness to exist where there isn't one. And, you know, like what was the original kind of vision for you?
2: I think every cannabis entrepreneur who has been in the industry, as long as I have wants to do what's right for the industry.
1: Agreed. A hundred percent.
2: You know, we've all sat there. I mean, I've sat there in jail and I've definitely like sat like, why am I here? Mm
1: -hmm. You know,
2: it makes no sense that I'm sitting here and it's something that like Burns you your entire life. You want to get rid of that. So, um, the injustice, obviously, but more the control, right? So, after going through the pharmaceutical rehabilitation and pharm- uh, judicial systems in Maryland, seeing how they're connected together, at a young age, um, I was really pushed through this. Um, I got sent to inpatient rehabs, wilderness programs, got put on Xanax because I was told I was self medicating for my anxiety with cannabis and I couldn't yeah. dose it correctly. Um, after being used as a, like a lab rat, you know and being pushed yeah. from one revenue that monopolized to another um and it's it's something that sticks with you for your entire life um and having the opportunity and seeing the opportunity um it really creates that passion and drive that creates the success right so um i I know that there probably aren't too many people with that experience in my kind of engineering mind and Mm-hmm. and drive and passion that would make do these things. So I saw it and I went for it.
1: Wow, wow. that's incredibly badass.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, so it. it reminds me of like, uh, we were just talking about this last week, Alex. Um, I think John Casali from uh, Huckleberry Hills Farms came up when we were talking about work and great farms out in California. He said something very similar to you about, I think he went to jail for, uh, what was it, 10 years, Francesca, and he's thinking, mm-hmm. Over the course of those ten years, uh, to use Alex's term, it ate at him. You know, it is burning him. Um, coming out with this perspective of these are the things I want to change about the way we do things, and these are the the, the steps that we need to take to to see this progress. I, I uh, I'm, I'm sitting here in in Delaware, Alex, and I'm I'm thinking that you have the vantage point of being in California, um, pretty much the genesis of of the cannabis movement, in the home of like Proposition 215, and um, these historic movements that have driven the cannabis community. What's your take on the way the East Coast is, is kind of coming out of the gate now? There's a lot of people out here that are really excited about the possibility of a New York market, um, everyone who can grow. We have so many amazing, talented growers in the state of New Jersey, which is right near uh, where we are right now. Um, how do you see the East Coast market going?
2: Oh, yeah if the wheat's as good as the corn in New Jersey, it's going to be fire.
1: (laughs) Especially in the summer. (laughs) Um,
2: Initially, super corporate. Mm -hmm. Um, You saw a lot of vertically integrated states. So uh, a dependent market is one that can last, right? And I think Florida, for example, was one of the first market that said you had to be vertically integrated and you had to have $10 million in escrow to show us that you had enough money to do the growth, to do the dispensary, to do the processing, to do it in enough places to where it's a substantial infrastructure that's sustainable, um, which completely just makes it impossible for anyone that's small to even think about joining that market, right? But those people in that market for the first five years make more money than anyone else, right? Yeah. Um, I could say those people and probably those guys in Michigan's on thirty fifty thousand $50,000 liters, um, of distillate. Um, but you can imagine that, um, the fear of seeing in Massachusetts and some of these other uh, states with then incorporating corporate legislation backed by these companies, even in Maine, right. You're seeing this, um, you're seeing the small processors fight back. Yeah. So for example, in Massachusetts, they said a ridiculously low PPE, um, Um, a PPM, excuse me, parts per million um, of residuals of butane and propane that made it almost impossible to even think about doing butane extraction, which is the more affordable way of getting to market. Making distillate could cost upwards of a million dollars if you want a successful line of production equipment, whereas LPG extraction, butane and propane, you can start at almost $60,000. So by making these regulations that eliminate these Easier products to market, which are the full spectrum products that you want to smoke, Mm -hmm. um, you make it impossible for small guys to get in. But seeing places like New York um, with their equity programs um, and their more open licensing, um, I think it's going to hopefully open up the minds of the people in the other markets to create the buzz that they need to change the vertical requirements that are there.
1: Wow, that's really that's really fascinating. I agree that it's definitely going to be corporate at first. From everything that you said, and just from even knowing the East Coast, that's just kind yeah. of the identity that matches a lot of the markets where it's popping up. So, um, I it's easier I, to
2: get the East Coast people behind it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I want to kind of touch on the actual like extraction and the science of it because I think a lot of people don't even know what is involved in extraction and you're, you know, you're talking about butane and you're talking about a lot of different, you know, processes, but I, I know there are several ways to extract. I know there's solventless and CO2 and, uh, you know, ethanol and all of those stuff, but let's just take it from a beginner standpoint. Like what is extraction and what, what is it that C1D1 does with extraction that is so Right.
2: I will try to make this as easy as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um,
1: Feel free to geek out.
2: <laughs> so we're going to concentrate the product. Right? So the goal is to take the cannabinoids in the product, extract it from the plant, concentrate it, and then consume it and then probably get more bait, right? <laughs> or have more of a medical effect. Um, extraction is so many different things. Extraction can be unrefined product. Right. And this is your live resin, your um water hash, your primary extractions where solvent and or heat and pressure, right? If that's Mm -hmm. your solventless, um, extract those cannabinoids and concentrate them. Um, and then that final product is then consumed. Mm -hmm. So this is includes your shatter, your sauce, your crumble, um, your uh batter, um co2 oil um, in addition to in addition to um your pressed um and water hash right your list mm-hmm. so all these have one common factor which is that the initial extraction produces the final product and what this means is that those products are full spectrum right you're not taking out cannabinoids and focusing on certain cannabinoids to make it 90% THC and 0% everything else, Mm -hmm. right? These are products that have been extracted initially with the full profile of terpenes, cannabinoids, flavonoids, all that stuff. um, And put into one final product and it's not messed with. Right. Mm -hmm. And these are my favorite things to consume. They're the healthiest things to consume as more, End users start to consume full spectrum products. They'll see some sativas acting like indicas, some indicas acting like sativas, and start to look at the different terpene profiles of these products and realize more truth behind what gives you these effects. These full spectrum products are the prime example of sativa and indicas aren't your primary decision maker of how this product is going to make you feel. It's not the biggest variable. Realistically, Back in the day, someone looked at the plant, said, "This one's short and fat. This one's tall and skinny. I'm gonna call this one Tiva. I'm gonna call this one Indica. Good to go." Um, they weren't smoking it and telling me, "Oh, I feel like I'm on a couch. This is Indica." Um, <laughs> they do. Have, they can say they have different profiles, but as you, as weed evolved, we started mixing these strains um, and started doing phenotypes that include two generations of this and one generation of that. And at, at this point, you know, as you start to enhance those terpene profiles by getting them concentrated we're able to see those effects which is cool um so health benefits seeing the different highs that we can get mm-hmm. um in addition to the availability of more affordable equipment right so these are your full spectrum products again the butane lpg uh propane products are going to be those gold waxes you see
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and maybe brown if you're in the wrong place <laughs> <laughs> But those are your shatters, your butters, your um, crumble, your diamonds, your sauce. Um, Those are all primary extractions done one time. Um, Diamonds are a little bit more isolated, but they're normally done through butane extraction and normally played with. Um, And that's going to lead me into my next thing in just a second. Um, CO2 um, is going to be a much darker oil that you see on the market. This is, in other states besides California, where you see everyone write full spectrum as big as they can on the packaging, and CO2 as small as they can <laughs> on the packaging. Um, you'll notice in these products, you'll get the full terpene profile. It'll taste a little bit different. Um, people say like the flavor of the butane and propane products, a lot more of the, of the CO2 products, your color is gonna be a little bit a t- uh, little bit off. It's not as a pleasant thing to smoke, uh, as butane and propane um yeah. there's some interesting variables here obviously with butane and propane you're covering all those parts per million so you're not ingesting those neurotoxins um but when you're comparing the way you make these two products the co2 machines are under thousands of psi of pressure um so they're very very high pressure but they don't use explosive volatile compounds right um Both are very dangerous. Yeah, Um, it sounds,
1: yeah. So one's better than the other?
2: One's more expensive. Gotcha. So the CO2 machines are more expensive. So in most of the markets, you saw a big corporate company saying, this is safer than this.
1: That's what I've always heard is CO2 is cleaner, CO2 is safer, CO2 extraction is the way to go, especially when hemp took off. Mm -hmm. Like I heard that even more.
2: I can tell you these machines have one-fifth the throughput so they can make one fifth of the product and it costs five times as much so the only reason why you would buy it is if the other people can't afford it and you make yourself the only one in the market gotcha. um i i would not want to be standing next to a system underneath a thousand psi i'd rather have a chilled butane system that's at 20 psi 50 psi um and a sensor and fumes and all this stuff um so educating all these regulators and and influencers and regulation like fire marshals that are looked up to about why these things are being taught to them and the truth behind it and having their engineers sitting next to them that review this stuff for building permits and agreeing with you is really how we got influence in regulation um through that we were actually able to create the largest architectural engineering firm mechanics manufacturing in the world so we do most of the architectural and engineering drawings for got all these big manufacturers both locally and internationally.
1: Wow, that's impressive. So your education is almost like it, it's such a. I'm sure you it crosses over worlds, but like your education is of these policymakers and these you know ordinance makers and everything. And you're talking about fire marshals. You're not even talking about. Listen, guys, I have to break the stigma of cannabis. It's like we're not even talking about that. We're talking about <laughs> safety in machinery and in manufacturing, right? Like it's a totally I different education. Go back to that.
2: I always yeah. go back to that. Um, I come from areas where it was illegal, so I've seen how people make this in, in those non-traditional markets, um, or traditional markets, excuse me. It's not safe. Mm-hmm. It's not safe at all. Um, even though I say this is safer than this, you know, I'm talking about with one of these explosion-proof rooms, with the sensors right. and alarms and explosion-proof fans. Most people are in the garage with cans of butane trying to make this, and it's not safe. Um, so I emphasize, and all the, guys, all the guys and girls in the industry, um, including myself and influencers like Murphy Murray, we all preach safety when we talk about extraction because the first thing someone wants to do is go home after they hear us talk about it and try to make it themselves.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there, is there ever going to be, you think like, I know mobile extraction's taking off um, in some areas. Is there a safety concern there, or there difference? Is that a way to get around safety regulations? Is there a safe way to do that?
2: So we actually brought this to market. So we um, have our own mobile extraction units that are being sold throughout the industry. Um, we just sold one to True North in Michigan. Um, they'll be processing two thousand pounds a day in it. Wow. Um, wow. We started with little containers. a little container. In
1: a unit. Wow. Yeah.
2: We start with little containers. We moved up to 40-foot containers that were on beds. Now we use full 53-foot dry van trailers. And we build those explosion-proof rooms that are engineer-certified for extraction within the trailer. So you're able to safely extract in the mobile extraction trailer. Um, What's wonderful is we have different uh, ways to permit these trailers and get them connected and disconnected. So the possibility of having one trailer that goes to multiple states before federal legislation so that you could invest into one lab that's doing multiple markets Mm -hmm. is really ingenious um anyone that's invested into the industry sees how volatile it is um knows the advantage of being able to take your investment and put it somewhere else yeah Um, so i see the advantage of mobile extraction i see the advantage of creating the regulations and standards to be able to pull up to a hemp farm and run their hemp and potentially share that extraction lab between seven or eight farms, again, lowering that you know, barrier standard.
1: I was just going to say, what a powerful tool, I would imagine, for co-ops, you know, for these farms that are getting together and being like, let's share costs so that we can all profit better. I mean, that's that's got to be a game changer.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, when it comes down to, again, afford- affording a million dollar processing line for distillate that can keep up with hemp because there's so much hemp being grown. You need a yeah. very large extraction line to process it. Um, really you need to work together um, if you're not one of these big companies and finding those solutions like co-ops and friendly people who have the same goals and intentions is really the biggest thing that you can do. Wow.
1: So cool. Uh, Nick, like, I've been monopolizing him. No, so no, no. By no, no, all no. Means, no I know I you have questions, but I'm just no, like, tell me more, Alex.
0: <laughs> uh, oh, I, you go right ahead. Go right <laughs> ahead. Uh, no, I'm sitting here sitting, like I need to take more notes. We we have um we have a, a we work with a number of small farmers, Alex, as we were talking about earlier, and um. <sighs> so many of these little guys you know we love kind of working with the small tier one farmers like we used to in washington state um as the game changes in cannabis and the and the business as the industry gets bigger uh you're a you're a veteran you have savvy is there one piece of advice you could offer like the, the kind of people that work with us the smaller guys who, who are looking to make a, a bigger leap into the game right now
2: if you're going to get into the industry make sure you have your paperwork with your partners lined up correctly <laughs> um <laughs> honestly uh, no, I, believe no, I think it. that that's every successful entrepreneur i know has that stripe on their shoulder i got screwed out of a company i told told them and taught them everything then they kicked me out mm-hmm. um, happened to me on my first company it happens to a lot of the guys at this point in the game if you get kicked out of a company and the industry builds around you it may be too late so um my biggest suggestion is make sure when you get that initial paperwork that it reflects what you want. When the business becomes successful, find those partners that really have the same intentions as you um, and chase it. Don't stop chasing it. It's going to be some of the most stressful, nonstop action you'll ever see. But um, you know the passion is rewarding in the end of it.
0: That's outstanding. And it it directly relates to, to a a partner we used to work with, you know, and that that's phenomenal advice. Um, Alex, where can we find you, uh, online? Where can people find C1D1
2: labs? C1D1labs.org or at C1D1labs, uh, on Instagram. Um, we're always on there. I personally run the page. Our engineers are constantly on the page. We always are posting new innovative equipment and new, uh, advancements into regulation so that all the extractors in addition to cannabis owners can stay up to date. Um, we have a very fantastic network of followers that are all the extraction technicians and all the extraction business owners. So as you see these guys posting and girls posting on our Instagram posts, you know, connect with these people really get into that network and, and share your passion with all these people.
1: Is there, do you guys do a lot of consulting for people that are looking to build, I mean, obviously you have the business and everything, but do people ever come to you and saying, I'm looking to build like extraction with integrity versus, you know, the cheapest slapdash I can find. Is that something that you walk people through Um, and any kind of pieces of advice on that?
2: So in Carson City, we actually fabricate butane extraction equipment, propane extraction equipment. Uh, ethanol extraction equipment, these extraction rooms. We do all the architectural and engineering. We're the largest firm in the world at this. We have the most experienced in fire protection in the world in extraction designs. Our company is able to hold the business owner and project manager's hand throughout the entire conceptual design, architectural engineering, fire protection, permitting process, and build-out, which gives them one company handling entire project, which is abnormal. We're the first company really to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, you have 15 different people with no experience all trying to give their input on a project, which gives business owners the advantage of getting to market quicker. Um, we have all the solutions any company at any size can need to build out a laboratory. That's a fantastic question. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Oh, we definitely. I mean, what I what I hope to see in the future personally is products that no longer say CO2 extraction or ethanol extraction. They say C1D1 extraction, because that sounds like you're taken care of.
2: I appreciate you. Powered by C1D1 Labs. Yeah. Absolutely. We can find I'm you at
0: C1D1Labs.org. Alex, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and your 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 years of expertise and knowledge in the industry. Uh, it was a treat for me. I know it was a treat for Francesca, and I I'm, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. Take
0: Thanks care, so much, it. Alex. We'll see you next time. Yeah.